The prophet Ezekiel's public ministry begins in our passage um, we're going to consider. Again, the year is 593 BC. Ezekiel is in Babylon as an exile, and he's already seen the vision of the glory of God revealed to him. Ezekiel's received a commission from the Lord to be a prophet to go and speak to a rebellious and stubborn house of Israel. He's tasted a scroll of the book given to him and literally filled his stomach with a message that he is to deliver, which are described as words of lament and mourning and woe. But the first act of public ministry he's going to engage is not going to involve verbal proclamation. But what we'll see in our passage this morning are four symbolic acts that dramatize the message he is to deliver to the people of Israel. Four acted out prophecies, four signs testifying to the coming judgment upon Jerusalem. Three of the four are going to be found in chapter 4, and the last one is going to fill up chapter 5 involving Ezekiel's hair. And so that's the uh, preview uh, before we sit under the reading of God's word. One quick note about our reading today. Whenever we see the word punishment in the text, at least in the ESV that we are using as a church, I'm going to purposefully substitute the word the word iniquity uh, instead of um, for the word punishment uh, because I believe that is to be that is more accurate translation that gets at the heart of the idea. And I'll explain that uh, as we go along. Well, before we hear God's word read and preached to us, let's pray once again and seek his help and blessing earnestly and let's eagerly, expectantly wait upon the Lord to speak to us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, which we confess to be perfect and flawless. It is full of power to give life and it is at work in all those who believe. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see As the word is spoken, you would truly strengthen us and change us and sanctify us and transform us and deepen your work of grace in our lives. I pray that our hearts would respond with thankfulness and with great gladness because you are our God, the God of Jacob, who is for us and who is our fortress and refuge. And so reveal your great love and mercy towards us. And may we rejoice all the more in your majestic holiness and your exalted glory revealed to us this morning. Lord, we ask these things all for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. Chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Ezekiel. I hear God's word now. And you, son of man, take a brick and lay before you and engrave on the brick a city, even Jerusalem, and put siege works around it and build a siege wall against it and cast up a mount against it, set camps also against it and plant battering rams against it all around. And you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it and let it be in a state of siege, and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. Then lie on your left side and place the iniquity, punishment, iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of the days 
that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of the years of their iniquity. So long shall you bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when you have completed there, when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you a day for each year, and you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. And you take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and emmer, and put them into a single vessel and make your bread from them. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And your food that you eat shall be by weight 20 shekels a day. And from day to day you shall eat it. And water you shall drink by measure the sixth part of a hen. From day to day you shall drink. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. And the Lord said, Thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Then I say, Ah, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself. Even my youth up till now, I have never eaten what died of itself or what was torn by beasts, nor has tainted meat come into my mouth. Then the Lord said to me, See, I assign to you cow's dung instead of human dung on which you may prepare your bread. Moreover, the Lord said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and they shall drink water by measure and in dismay. I will do this that they may lack bread and water and look at one another in dismay and rot away because of their iniquity. And you, O son of man, take a sharp sword, use it as a barber's razor, and pass it over your head and your beard. Then take balances for weighing and divide your divide the hair. A third part, you shall burn in the fire in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are completed. And a third part, you shall take and strike with a sword all around the city. And a third part, you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheath the sword after them. And you shall take from these a small number and bind them in the skirts of your robe. And of these, again, you shall take some and cast them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. From there, a fire will come out into all the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her, and she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries all around her, for they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are more turbulent than the nations that are all around you and have not walked in my statutes and obeyed my rules and have not even acted according to the rules of the nations that are all around you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against you. 
and I will execute judgment in your midst in the sight of the nations. And because of all your abominations, I will do with you what I have never yet done, and the like of which I will never do again. Therefore fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons eat their fathers. And I will execute judgment on you, and any of you who survive, I will scatter to all the winds. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with your abomination, therefore I will withdraw. My eyes will not spare, and I will have no pity. A third part of you shall die of pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. A third part shall fall by the sword all around you, and a third part I will scatter to all the winds and will unsheath the sword after them. Thus shall my anger spend itself, and I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself, and they shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken in my jealousy when I spend my fury upon them. Moreover, I will make you a desolation and an object of reproach among the nations all around you, and in the sight of all who pass by, you shall be a reproach and a taunt, a warning and a horror to the nations all around you when I execute judgments on you in anger and fury and with furious rebukes. I am the Lord. I have spoken. When I send against you the deadly arrows of famine, arrows for destruction, which I will send to destroy you, and when I bring more and more famine upon you and break your supply of bread, I will send famine and wild beasts against you, and they will rob you of your children. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you, and I will bring the sword upon you. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Thus far, this reading in God's holy word. Here we are given four portraits of the coming judgment. The prophet Ezekiel is commanded by the Lord to do four things. To build a model or a replica of the siege work upon a brick or a tablet of clay uh, with an iron grill, a frying pan, if you can picture it in your mind, laid before it, covering the siege work before his face. Ezekiel likewise is commanded to lay down on his side, bound with cords for 430 days. Ezekiel is commanded to eat meager portions of bread baked over dried dung used as fuel in the oven. And Ezekiel is commanded to shave his head and dispose the hair in three different ways. Each symbolic act is anticipating what God would do to his beloved city that bears his own name, the city of Jerusalem. Of course, Ezekiel is given a preview of what is about to happen in four and a half years. Jerusalem will come under siege for a period of two years. Terrible sufferings will ensue. The Babylonians will eventually destroy Jerusalem in 586 BC as an expression of God's judgment upon his wayward people. And here Ezekiel, with his own life, is commanded to portray visibly what God would do in his fury and wrath against the disobedience and rebellion of his people. Now, Ezekiel, as a prophet, is no stranger to these things spoken of because five years before this point, in 598 B.C., 
Jerusalem was similarly surrounded for a three-month period by the Babylonians. You read about that in 2 Kings 24 and 25. Uh, that's when the king Jehoiachin finally surrendered to the Babylonians and the nation of Babylon led a host of captives, including Ezekiel, to Babylon. That explains why Ezekiel at this point is in uh, the land of Babylon. The three-month siege, however, uh, will pale in comparison to what uh, lies ahead. Jeremiah chapter 52 tells us that five years prior, 3,023 Judeans were taken as captives to be exiled to Babylon, including Ezekiel. But in about six, seven years' time, the whole of the city will be put to destruction. The people will perish. And Ezekiel is to enact with his own life by the signs God has commanded what God is about to do. Now, each of these strange acts, each of these four signs, is projecting before us something of a preview of yet greater events. It's a preview of what it means for a holy God to deal with sinners, transgressors, and covenant breakers. It is therefore pointing us this morning to what God will ultimately do, not in the siege and destruction of Jerusalem, but in the destruction of the Son of God at the cross on Calvary. Each of these things is pointing your mind this morning to what your Lord God, your Savior, has done for you to deal with your sins. And so set your mind, indeed, on the awesome wonder and the glory of the cross of the Lord Jesus, particularly as we come to the table this morning. I want you to be reminded of what it is that your God has done for you in order to save you from sins. I want to go through quickly uh, each of these four symbolic acts. and I want you to set your mind uh, from these experiences of Ezekiel to the experience of the Lord Jesus. First of all, you see in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 3, rather, in chapter 4, the something of a model that Ezekiel commanded to build. It's set on a clay, clay table. It's about one foot in dimension square, tablet clay. Ezekiel is told to use things like sticks and stone to build a 3D replica of a city under siege. If your children can imagine it, it's like building something with your Lego blocks. The city surrounded by armies. And he is to use a frying pan, an iron griddle, to place before the city work on his face to proclaim the message that God will hide his face from his city. He will turn his face away from them. The city under siege will remain under darkness in utter ruination, destruction and desolation will remain and they will be away from the presence of the Lord. And the prophet is in flesh and blood reenacting in 3D fashion what the city of Jerusalem is to face. The frying pan, the iron griddle, is to be an impenetrable wall of iron 
shielding God's people from the favorable presence of God. The Lord will hide his face. The Lord will turn his face away from them. The Lord will let them remain under siege in suffering to perish unto their destruction. Now, isn't that what my Lord Jesus Christ has done for all the transgressors of his commandments? This is what it means for God to deal with unrepentant sinners on the day of judgment. And yet at Calvary, we truly see this picture projected to its fullness in the death of the Lord Jesus. He was thrown into the pit. He was alienated and forsaken from God the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The soul of Jesus, as it were, were presented with a wall of iron the whole land covered in darkness, the Father's face turned away from his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he hung upon the tree, enjoyed a, uh, did not enjoy the presence of God. What faced him was the God-forsakenness in his soul. What's portrayed here in this siege work uh, is truly projected to its fullest extent in the death of your Savior. Now, brothers and sisters, it is, it is on account of that experience because God was forsaking not you as sinners, but his own beloved son, that the face of God is no longer turned against you, but the face of God is towards you. There's no longer a wall of iron separating you from you, uh, separating you from the presence of God. The wall has been broken. You have access to God. The God of favor has returned, God is shining his face upon you. As we read in Isaiah chapter 60, the Lord God is your light, your everlasting glory. He truly shines his face upon you. So take heart, believers, and rejoice in what God your Savior has done for you. Then will you notice, secondly, in verses 4 through 8, the second act, it involves Ezekiel being bound with cords, he is to lay on one side, on the left side, for 390 days, and on the other side for 40 days, a total of 430 days. He is to be bound, unable to move. As a prophet dramatizing the message, he is to, each day corresponding to an year, take upon himself the iniquity of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. God is showing in the experience of Ezekiel, what it means for him to deal with transgressors. And the number 430 should have rang a special bell because that's the very length of time that the people of God were slaves in Egypt, 430 years. In the similar fashion, after 430 years of disobedience, the consequences of the iniquities would be all laid upon this bound prophet unable to move. And the reason I read iniquity rather than punishment in our text is because this is the word used in Isaiah chapter 53 when we hear that the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Here, Ezekiel, as a prophet bound, is having all the iniquities of the people of God laid upon him and bound, he is unable to move. 
That's the second act he is commanded to display. The psalm we will be singing after the supper, Psalm 118, mentioned the sacrifice being bound to the altar. Here, Ezekiel, not so much as a sacrifice, but as a visible picture of what needs to happen to all sins and iniquities bound with cords, unable to move, corresponding the measure, exact full measure of the number of iniquities that the Lord means to deal with. Everything is exactly numbered. 390 years of iniquities and 40 years of iniquities. The period between Jeroboam all the way to the exile, 390 years. And for the house of Judah as well, the exact match is counted uh, to be dealt with accordingly. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus has done for you? The psalmist cries that if, Lord, you were to count my iniquities, they are more numerous than the number of my hairs. And yet the Lord gathered up all the iniquities and sins of his people and laid them up on his prophet servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one bound with cords, led astray, led into the presence of Pilate to be tried, not so much before the human tribunal, but before the judgment bar of the Almighty. Having been made sin, he bore our iniquity, he was put to death. And because of that action, the gospel declares in the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, Rejoice, O Jerusalem, because your iniquities pardoned. The exact match, double in terms of its exact match for your sins, has been paid. God has numbered your iniquities and counted your sins and dealt with them not in you, but in the person of his son. So that's the second picture uh, Ezekiel is told to project. And for the prophet, he had to lay uh, uh, unable to move for a period of uh, about 15 months just to proclaim uh, this message. And you have a savior who was bound in your place in order to uh, deal with your iniquities. So that's the second picture. They bound Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we may be set free. The cords that are now placed over you, it's not the cords of punishment or the cords of condemnation, but it's cords of everlasting love with which God draws all of his people to himself. But notice the third uh, symbolic act, verses 9 through 17, chapter 4. Ezekiel, thirdly, is called to prepare daily a meager portion of bread and water cooked, baked over cow's dung. He is to take upon him during this siege period starvation rations, Because the weight given in our text, verse 10, 20 shekels of bread, or 20 shekels of ingredients that would make bread, weigh about 8 ounces. 
a sixth of a hen amounts to about half a pint, pint of water. That was to be Ezekiel's bread and water. And he is to make this specifically, notice the ingredients listed in verse 9, lentils, beans, wheat, barley, millet, and emmer, this strange mixture of grains and legumes to turn it into barley cake or seed cake. Uh, This is no gourmet food. This is fitting perhaps more for a bird feeder than for a dinner plate. And Ezekiel is commanded first to cook this over human dung, dried human waste. And notice his instinctive response, the revulsive, repulsive revulsion that arises out of his inner being, his priestly sensibility, his old covenant conscience retorted against God's command and said, Oh Lord, I have not defied myself in that manner ever again. There is a tantrum of conscience that Ezekiel throws at the Lord's command. And God here condescends, acquiesces to Ezekiel's conscience. What a picture of our God. What God commands, Ezekiel doesn't immediately do, but he has a retort of his own. And yet in infinite kindness and mercy, God allows Ezekiel to pick a substitute option, replacing human dung with cow dung. What a picture of the truth that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Lord says, He will never let you be tempted beyond your ability to bear. How kind our God is towards you, believers. He's kind enough to condescend to your weakness, to accommodate the weakness of your flesh sinlessly, to deal with you kindly. And so Ezekiel makes uh, this concoction called barley cake. Each and every day, he burns cow's dung to make this meager portion. And the ration he is to live on uh, is proclaiming the scanty supply of bread and water that the inhabitants of Jerusalem will have under siege. Such was the supply issue, supply chain issue, that this horrible thing will happen, we read in chapter 5. The inhabitants of Israel will engage in cannibalism, father eating son, and son eating father. If you read the book of Lamentation, that's truly been fulfilled. So under curse, the inhabitants of God's nation and city are that they will eat family members. And here Ezekiel's diet publicly is proclaiming what is to come under God's judgment and curse. Verse 16 of chapter 4, the Lord calls it the bread of anxiety and the water of affliction and dismay. And they will rot away, verse 16, uh, verse 17, because of their iniquity. Now what does this public diet, a meager portion, point you to this morning. This is what it means, again, a picture of covenant curses and what it means to be under the curse of God. 
We think of the experience not of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but ultimately we think of the prophet of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the Son of God in everlasting glory came down. He endured hunger and thirst, 40 days, 40 nights, hungering in order to be the redeemer of his people. He knew what it means to have the supply of bread and water cut off. And yet the Bible declares there is even a severe, more severe famine for humanity. Not the famine of eating bread, but famine of the hearing of the word of God. For men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's more troublesome for the inhabitants of Jerusalem is not that they lack physical bread, but by their choice and by their willingness, they have faced the famine of hearing the word of God. This bread was to be baked on human dung. It's such a defilable thing, isn't it? If you're to cook dinner over your own human waste. And Ezekiel rightly uh, have a repulsive reaction towards that proposition. And yet the Bible declares that is exactly what your righteousness is like. I consider all things to be refuge dung in comparison with the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness. As one commentator said, Ezekiel regarded human dung to be more defilable than cow's dung. In our right gospel sensibility, we regard our own righteousness to be more tainted and defilable than any animal's whose manure you can collect. And when you understand that, when you understand truly what is in you, what is in the flesh, apart from Jesus Christ, all your best efforts are but human waste. Oh, what glorious reminder you have that the perfect righteousness, righteousness of Jesus Christ you are given freely by grace through faith is enough to cover all your defects that is your glory that is your only ground of standing before God the image is striking here because the concoction he bakes each and every day is called again a barley cake in our text what is this barley cake if you were to go to a bakery, this would be the kind of bread that remains unsold and left on the day-old shelf. And you have to, to remember how in the Gospels, the little boy comes to Jesus with his own meager portion, five loaves of barley and two fish, nothing to boast about. And Jesus, the bread of life, breaks out of the meager portion a bountiful supply to feed the multitude. And what a picture this is that although want and lack and deprivation is 
a lot for every sinner. In Jesus Christ, when we come to him, he supplies you in boundless quantity his bread and his water. The people of God have come to know bread that is truly bread and water that is a water of life. Replacing the bread of affliction and water of dismay, Jesus has come to give you the bread of life and the water of life without payment and without labor. What a picture this is, truly, of the exchange that because Jesus endured the curse of God in your place due to sinners, you can enjoy all the blessings of God that he himself has merited and now gives to you. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that unlike the inhabitants of Jerusalem in Ezekiel's days, the citizens of Zion and children of Israel, by grace, enjoy in boundless supply uh, bread and water. He is the true manna. He is the living bread. He is the fountain of water. He is the water of life. And he gives that to you, all who are defiled and unclean in and of yourself. Not baked over the defilement of your own works of hands, but prepared by his grace, spread before you in his grace and mercy. And what a picture that we, uh, we are given to us, uh, that is given to us uh, in this symbolic act. Psalm 147 says, He filled your mouth, O Israel, with the finest wheat. He crowned you with good. What a joy it is for God's people to know that gone is the curse. Gone is the judgment. And the bountiful supply of his grace he gives to his people. Then fourthly and finally, notice the entirety of chapter 5. The last act Ezekiel is told to engage in is using a barber's razor to shave his beard and head and dividing up the hair into three parts and one-third he is to send um, to the burn pile to burn with fire. And the other one he is to strike with sword. And the other the last third, remaining third, he is to kind of fling up in the air and throw it and scatter it to the wind. And verse 13, verse 12 of chapter 5, we're given an explanation for what they mean. God will send a third of the inhabitants to die of pestilence and uh, uh, consumed with famine. They'll be burned under pestilence and starvation. The other third... Uh, will be given over to the sword to be cut down physically, and the final third will be exiled, scattered to the wind. Now, all these languages of famine and sword and pestilence and exile are directly from Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Leviticus chapter 26, where we read the covenant curses pronounced. In other words, this particular symbolic act is the exact playing out of what God has already spoken. In the event of covenant disobedience, all these things will come upon you. And what Ezekiel is 
to portray physically is the exact playing out of what God has spoken in his word. These are covenant curses, and the people of God in Jerusalem will be on the receiving end of that. This symbolic act is an expression of God's wrath. This symbolic act is an expression of what God does in pouring out his curse. His wrath is simply a reflex of his righteous and holy character. This isn't some flying off the handle anger and fury towards sinners. This is holy, settled opposition to all that is evil and sinful and defiled. God's wrath, his holy, burning anger against all that is unrighteous and evil and unholy must be poured out and vent full until it is satisfied. And do you notice all the languages uh, the Lord uses toward Israel to express that truth? Verse 8, because of his wrath, the Lord says, I am against you. Verse 11, my eyes will not pity them or spare them. Verse 13, fury and anger will burn against them. I will vent my fury and satisfy myself. In verse 16, there will be the destruction coming through arrows of famine and arrows and sword all aimed against you. Truly, it is a frightening thing, fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here in this act, we have what it means for God to pour out his wrath. That God's wrath is something that needs to be satisfied. It cannot subside on its own. It cannot go away on its own. God's wrath and fury must vent itself fully until it is satisfied. And the question is how God would do that. And Ezekiel's message to his contemporaries is he will send covenant curses, pestilence, famine, exile, sword. But in the gospel, we truly see what that wrath and anger would do against the man who was made a sin, against the man who bore all your sins and iniquities in his own body. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that we see fully the wrath and fury of God poured out and satisfied completely. So here the prophet, it's not so much reenacting the judgment of God only, but he's pointing us to that climactic experience when that judgment of God will be satisfied. He's pointing us to another prophet who will not so much symbolize the judgment of God in all that he goes through, but who will experience and bear in his own body the wrath and curse of God. Jesus endured not just the sign, not just the symbols, but the substance of the things. Ezekiel chapter 5 is, in other words, explaining to you and exegeting for you the content of the cup that he would drink on the cross when he was made a curse so that you may receive the blessings of God. 
And if you think about it, all the Old Testament is essentially signs, symbols pointing to their reality. The sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah, the three nights spent in the belly of the great fish by the prophet Jonah. All the Old Testament events are essentially pointing us to that climactic event when Jesus would endure in full extent the covenant curse and the wrath of God. And it's, it's there and there alone the wrath of God will be fully satisfied. And unless that is true for you this morning, the wrath and fury that needs to be satisfied will be expressed on the Day of Judgment. What's portrayed and previewed here in Ezekiel chapter 5 in the siege and destruction of Jerusalem is something that will take place either on the final day of judgment or has already taken place in the cross of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus not only wears the crown of thorns, he not only has the sign of the things, but he truly was nailed to the cursed tree to be on the receiving end of the covenant curse and the wrath of God for sinners. And the thing has been done, brothers and sisters. God's wrath against all your sins and iniquities have been born and fully been satisfied in the death of the Son of God. And he now gives a symbol, symbols and signs, curtain torn from top to bottom. You have access into the Holy of Holies. You have a symbol because God has completed that venting out of the wrath. He has given you a symbol of the broken bread and the cup on the table to proclaim the death of his son for you to thankfully remember his death to proclaim the coming again of Jesus in joyful eager anticipation to proclaim our fellowship in the present with him he has given you the sign and symbol of the Lord's day as the day of rest The day of rest and worship has been moved up from the seventh day, from the tail end of the week to the beginning of the week, to proclaim to you each week that you now live as new creatures in Jesus Christ, belonging to the world to come. He has given you the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is on the throne. He's reigning, and he is coming to dwell in you. When you read the signs that Ezekiel had to put on his own body, let us go to the substance of that sign, the Lord Jesus crucified. And all the more as we go to him, let us rejoice in the signs that he has given to us now of the table, of the Lord's day, of every spiritual gift he has given you, pointing your eyes to the day, not of judgment, but the day of glory when you will fully enjoy the blessings of God. You have nothing to do now with the experience of Ezekiel chapter 4 and 5. No more curses for you, no more judgment, no more wrath remaining for you. Because they have been born once for all by your Savior, and he declares that the curse is gone, the judgment is finished, the wrath has been satisfied, and the exile is over. 
Let's continually go to the cross that declares to you the blessings that belong to you. And whenever you see the symbols, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice that he has done the substance of the signs and symbols. We have the Lord Jesus. Let us go to him by faith continually. Let us rejoice in him together. Let's pray together.